Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, and we'd like to read beginning with verse 16. I do want to thank those who filled in for me and when I was absent. Remember Jennifer and the boys down there in Florida, if you would. Zechariah chapter 14. We're approaching the end of this glorious gospel according to Zechariah, and there's some wonderful things to be said. Zechariah, as he is used to close out this book. But in verse 16, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations, if the, the remnant that is left from all the nations which came against Jerusalem, at one time they were not friendly folks. They were put out with the gospel. They were put out with the people that knew the gospel. And it says here, but against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king. So something greatly has happened to these folks. Something God intervened on their behalf. God revealed his son to them because they're going to come up and worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of tabernacles. All right. Now let's go to verse 17. We'll come back there and mention a few things. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth to unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no rain, there shall be, a, be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the Feast of Tabernacles is mentioned over in the books of Moses. And if we look at the Feast of Tabernacles from our standpoint as anything else but pictorial, if we look at it, at it efficacious, we do not understand the gospel. Now, turn with me to a verse or passage of scripture in the book of 2 Corinthians. It helps us understand this. In the book of 2 Corinthians, remember when it is recorded here in 2 Corinthians about Moses going up on the mount? Well, there's a result that is brought out continuously, even today. As we read here in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, don't tell me, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. I need, I need a Bible. <laughs> off, the, off the front pew. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. Well, let's back up to verse 13 here. It says, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Now, if you'll notice there with me, we find that 
that veil of reading the Old Testament and taking it from a literal standpoint, we're still under the law, we still have these feasts, we still have these things to do, these sacrifices, then there is a veil that is over our eyes. And this veil, it goes on there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this veil is done away. Now read it with me here. Nevertheless, verse 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. So there is a veil in reading the Old Testament that is there and it is over our eyes. But when God reveals Christ to us, we're not going to be depending upon those feasts. We're not going to be depending upon those sacrifices. We're not going to be depending upon those things because we're now able to see the fulfillment of all of those. We'll see the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll see the fulfillment of the Passover. We'll see the fulfillment of all the sacrifices. And it goes on here in verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we have liberty in Christ, and he reveals these truths to us. He reveals the benefits of the true Feast of Tabernacles. Now there is a time recorded in the book of Nehemiah. You'll turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. We have some words here with regard to the great rejoicing that took place, and there was reason for this. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, we have this Feast of Tabernacles brought up here in the book of Nehemiah. They had neglected it for, for a long, long time. They had not performed it. They had not gone through it. And so here in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, now this is after they've been in uh, 70 years of bondage. This is after they've been released, after Cyrus, after the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah that they would be released and permitted to go back uh, to Jerusalem. Here in the book of Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah share with us much the same. But here in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, and there in verse 13, it says this, And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to the understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, in the feast of tabernacles. And they that should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees and make booths as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of the house in their courts and in the courts of the house of God, in the street, the water gate, in the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Jeshua the son of Nun, Joshua the son of Nun, until that day had not the children of Israel done that, and they there was very great gladness. Now there was gladness to once again perform this ceremony, once again a gladness to uh, see what this represented that uh, God had commanded that the children of Israel dwell in these booths and remember that they had once been prisoners down in Egypt and that they'd been set free and that they were now dwelling out here in the wilderness. 
But we find that even that is not enough. God did not intend for us to continue with that because it was fulfilled in Christ. Here we find that to every day of a believer's life is reminiscent of the spiritual application of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, we find out that that Feast of Tabernacles shares with us some things about dwelling in a booth, dwelling in some place that we commonly don't do, and that is what truly Christ did when he came down to this world. He dwelt in a body prepared for him. We look at the Feast of Tabernacles and we see that the God of heaven is dwelling in a booth. He's dwelling in a body that was provided for him. We see in the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus Christ is our true Feast of Tabernacles. He's the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. He dwelled in flesh that God provided. In fact, we find in the book of Galatians that in the fullness of time, he came born of a woman, born under the law to fulfill the law for us. So he truly, and we celebrate that every day. A believer celebrates the incarnation of Jesus Christ every day. And there is a man sitting at the right hand of the Father. We have a Savior, Christ the Lord, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He gave up the glory that he had with the Father before the world was, came down to this sin-cursed earth, did all that was required in obedience to the law, and now because he fulfilled it and paid for our sins in full, he can, to all that he has ever called into, uh, into Christ, can have total righteousness imputed to them. So we celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles. We also find that this Feast of Tabernacles is a picture of gospel worship. Turn with me to the book of John, if you would. In John chapter 7, this is a time when the Lord was upon the earth that they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, three, two million, five hundred thousand. A hundred thousand people in Jerusalem that are all in booths. That would be quite a, quite a sight to see. And yet, as we look here in the book of John chapter 7, this is what was part of the Old Testament law, came down to the Lord Jesus Christ era when he was upon this earth. And in John chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Now the, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now the Lord is going to be a witness to this and he is going to be present for this and he's going to share some truths about himself at this Feast of Tabernacles that is so true about him in our everyday life. During this time at least, there seems to have been some water taken out of the pool of Siloam and presented. And the Lord Jesus Christ uses this experience to share with us that he is the true living water. Whatever was taking place here, Christ is so much better than that. If you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But the water that I shall give you... Now notice as we follow down through the seventh chapter of the book of John to verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying... If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Now, can you imagine the stir that he caused? Here, celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, this one person stands up and says this. 
If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit. The Lord Jesus is speaking of the Spirit. Out of his belly, there's going to be such a tremendous glory in this spiritual fe uh, feast of tabernacles, and that is the glory of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ is the glory of the gospel, and he imparts that to us, gives that, allows us to hear the glorious gospel about him. That great day of the feast, he stands up and mentions this about himself. I am the living water. The Savior stands and declares this about himself. I am that water. And then, if we look at the Old Testament again in the book of Joel, we find one of the fulfillments that Christ makes on the behalf of his people is that there will be water. In Zachar, excuse me, uh, Joel, Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, and there in verse 18. Joel chapter 3 and verse 18. The gospel produces this. The, feast, the literal Feast of Tabernacles doesn't produce this. There is some things about that. Those people, they never came up with that feast on their own. The Lord gave it to them. They never grew the boughs and branches to produce those booths. The Lord gave that. They didn't understand that there was a thing to do with this until the Lord revealed it unto them. They're going to have this feast. And the same is true about us. We can, we can hear about the gospel, but we will never hear the gospel until it's revealed to us. And that's what this feast does. Okay, here in the book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 18, it shall come to pass on that day that the mountain shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. This again speaks of that fountain that we read about in Zechariah. There shall be a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. This Feast of Tabernacles has much to do with that. And as we go on here, we find out that those who do not come, that's the serious part, those who do not come to the Feast of Tabernacles. What does that mean? Those who do not come to Christ, those who do not come to God's salvation, those who do not come to His appointed way, those are the ones that will have no rain. And we'll read that in just a moment. The picture of the grace of God in His salvation, this Feast of Tabernacles shares with us. He came incarnated. He came in the flesh. He came for the suffering of death. He came to put sin away for his people. Also, it signifies to us that it is the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to us, nothing else. We don't need anything else. We need that gospel. And it's the gospel of the truth that, Jesus, that is in Jesus Christ. It is the Savior that actually saves. It is the Redeemer that actually redeems. It is the water of life freely that He gives. And that is what this Feast of Tabernacles is representing. In the days of Nehemiah, yes, they did come. Yes, they did build booths. But in our day, it is nothing. In fact, 
I had a man ask me not too long ago about having the Passover and having the Feast of Tabernacles and having some of the other feasts. I said, it's nothing but idolatry today. Nothing but idolatry. You're saying that Christ is not sufficient, that you still want to go into that. That's a real problem that we have in today's world. Feasts are more important than Christ. All right, going back to the book of Zechariah chapter 14 again. Zechariah chapter 14, we find here in this glorious gospel, according to Zechariah, as he comes to the conclusion, he's sharing with us the very blessed thought about coming to the Feast of Tabernacle, coming to Christ. You know, the other day I, I, was, I was driving somewhere and a thought struck me. How many times in the New Testament, and I didn't look anywhere else, in the New Testament is the word hell used? A few times in the Gospels, not one time under the preaching of Peter, not one time in Paul's, a one time in the book of Acts where it says that he shall not leave his soul in hell. So we don't have the New Testament preachers preaching that because scaring people does not bring them into the kingdom. Preaching Christ brings them into the kingdom. All that are appointed to be brought in shall be brought in. So we don't preach hell. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Now, we do know the results of those who do not come to Christ. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's what Zechariah is going to go on and share with us in these last few verses of Zechariah chapter 14. It tells us here in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 17. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. Now throughout the Old Testament, the subject of rain is a subject of blessings. There shall be no blessings. God's blessing is not upon them. Spiritual blessings. Now we know that God sends rain upon the just as well as the unjust. God sends the sun on the just as well as the unjust. But when it comes to spiritual blessings, he sends spiritual blessings to his spiritual children. And that's it. He does not send spiritual blessings to anyone else. So as we look at this, we'll find that those who will not come up God's way to his Christ, to his Savior, and to his salvation, they will not have blessings from God, spiritual blessings. Now the church has every spiritual blessing, or all spiritual blessings, but as it tells us here, there will be no rain. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, we find some wonderful pictures about this very subject of rain. Do you remember what it says over there in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11 about raising water with your feet? (laughs) One of my favorite passages of scripture here in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Jesus said to a whole group of people, says, I sent you, ye shall die in your sins. You shall die in your sins. Now, over here in the book of Deuteronomy, we have a comparison between the the way they did things in Egypt and the picture of the way they're going to do things in the promised land. 
in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verse 10 and 11. Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verse 10 and 11. Notice these verses with me. Verse 10, it says, For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. Now we have a comparison here. The land where you're going is not the land of works. Never has been, never will be. Christ is never attached to works. It's His work, and we are His workmanship, but it's not based upon merit. From whence you came out. You came out of Egypt, I brought you out of Egypt. There in Egypt, where thou sowest thy seed and waters with the foot, as the garden of herbs. Now this has made mention of the of foot wheel that they spun with their feet and brought water out into their gardens and watered it. Now that's a lot of effort that went into it, and it just reminds us of being in religion. There's lots of effort that goes into it, and the work is never done. Once you get off and let someone else take it, you come right back and you're still doing it. Well, look at the next verse. In the next verse, as we think about that rain from heaven, there will be no rain. If you do not come up to the Lord of hosts to Jerusalem and notice or pay attention or participate or are in the Feast of Tabernacles from a gospel sense, you will have no rain. Now notice this next verse. But the land, whether you go to possess it, here you're going to a land. We've taken you out. God's taken you out of Egypt. And down there, if you're going to raise a garden, you're going to have to do it all by foot. You're going to have to raise the water by your own works. Well, the wonderful thing about being in Christ, it says, This place is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. Now, it comes down. It doesn't have to be raised up. This rain is the blessed rain of God, the blessed blessings of God. And so, as just as it is in, in the days of works, work, 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 never done, never done, and you're never sure where you are. You, there's where the word hope has the wrong meaning. I hope I make it. Well, in Christ, hope means there's security behind it. And here we find that there's going to be rain, and it's going to be from heaven, and we don't have to produce it. We don't have to send up an airplane and send out some kind of mercury to make it rain. It happens. And so that's the way God was going to take care of the water, and it's such a picture of the gospel. It comes down to us. It's always flowing on our behalf, and it's not work that produces it. Well, as we go back here to the book of Zechariah, we find that if they do not come, if they do not come to the Lord, the, the, the Lord of hosts, do not come to Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, if they do not come to Jerusalem, where the gospel is, they do not come to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there shall be no blessing, there will be no rain. They will worship, if they will not worship at Jerusalem, at the only place assigned. Now, Jerusalem is where the gospel is. It's just a significant statement about where the gospel is. You will not come to the gospel if you'll not come to the feast that declares the gospel, then there is no water for you. Promise of God, there will be no mercy. 
There will be no grace. There will be no bloodshed by the Savior. There will be no welcome. There will be no understanding. There will be no enlightenment. There will be no, there will be darkness and it will not be removed. And as the Lord said, ye shall die in your sins. Now, thank God the sins of the church have all been taken care of and he died for our sins. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 18. Notice that with me. And if the family of Egypt will go not up and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen. There shall be the plague. Now I found it interesting as we look into, into this that what happens if someone never hears the gospel? I brought that question up to Pastor Mahan. <laughs> you know what he did with it? He herded it right back into my face. That's not the issue, Norm. It's just like the woman at the well wanting to bring, bring up religious things. Our fathers say in this mountain you worship, you say down in Jerusalem is to worship. Now nobody's right, are they? Well, in the book of Acts, keep your finger right here. We're going to be right back here. In the book of Acts chapter 16, an interesting event took place. One of the missionaries, one of those sent by God Almighty to preach the gospel to lost sinners, to lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I use that word Israel to speak of the church. They are lost. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, this missionary had an interest in his heart to go preach the gospel in a place. Now notice what it says here. It says, now when they, verse 6 of Acts chapter 16, now when they had gone through Pergia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Can you imagine a God that would refuse, forbid the preaching of the gospel in Asia? Now there's only one reason, oh, two reasons. God already sent someone else, or there was no sheep there. Now it doesn't tell us which, but Paul was forbidden to go there. Now just follow this down through there just a little bit but more. And after they were come to Mycenae, they wanted to go. They essayed to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. The Holy Spirit suffered them not. The Holy Spirit prevented them. Now why? Well, we find in the next verse that he had a vision at night from Macedonia come over here, and he brought the gospel into Europe. Now we can say hallelujah for that. Because it greatly affects us. But just for a thought that the gospel was prevented, forbidden from going into Asia, forbidden from going into Bithynia, and was pleased to go, God was pleased to go into Macedonia. So what about the folks that never hear the gospel? A missionary was never sent. What are we going to have to say? 
I was told that it's better off not to have them hear anything because they will be less punished. I'm sorry, that's not Bible. What about the folks that never heard Paul in Asia or Bithynia? We know this, that if there were lost sheep there, there would be the gospel preached there. Someone else went, or there was no lost sheep. But if you know one was sent, no one heard the message of Christ and him crucified. If they don't hear that, if they never hear that, God is just in not giving them rain, not blessing them. Why? Because they're sinners. They're no less sinners than we are. We're thankful that the grace of God came. We were permitted to hear it. By the grace of God, we were permitted to hear it. Jacob have I loved. Only one reason he loved Jacob. His sins were paid for. Esau have I hated. Only, well, there's probably many reasons, but one reason is his sins were never paid for. And if sins are not paid for, God deals with that without rain, without blessings. All right. Since they came not, back here in verse 18 of Zechariah chapter 14. If the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. There shall be the plague. Now, we're quite familiar with that in the book of Numbers. Just two, two times I'm going to read about here in the book of Numbers, and that's in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 37. God has given us some idea what this means. They shall have a plague. God's justice shall be there. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, and we read here in verse 37. Now, we are just, it makes us more thankful for grace when we hear what the Bible has to say about those who do not get grace. They will not come. The Lord said, you will not come to me that you might have life. You will not come. Why will people not come that they might have life? Well, the reason they will not come is that they already think they're okay. They're okay. I've done enough. I'm not as bad as other people are. I'm better than most people are. I, I'm a member of this church. I've had the ordinances. I've done this or that. And they will not come because they have no need to come. They've already, in their heart, believed that they're okay. Well, when the Lord reveals that we're not okay, we're caused to flee to Christ. He's brought us to Christ before we realize we even f we're fleeing. But here in the book of Numbers, chapter 14... Here is that word plague. Same word, chapter 14, verse 37. 
Even those men that did bring up the evil report. Now, it hasn't been that long ago here in the book of Numbers. We looked at those ten spies that came back with an evil report. Well, what? Well, we found out when we were there what happened to them. But just to review, the men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. Now, that's the kind of plague that God's talking about here in the book of Zechariah. If they will not come, not only will they not have rain, but there will be a plague. Well, that plague is serious. It's mentioned when there's those on the right-hand side and those on the left-hand side. And everyone that we hear about on that left-hand side, I don't need you because I'm okay already. I'm religious. Well, one more time here in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, this plague. There is a plague, this plague of God. He, he showed us and demonstrated on a minute scale here in the Old Testament that that is a plague that he will pour out on those who will not come to Jerusalem to the Feast of Tabernacles. Not to some literal feast, but to the gospel. Will not come to Christ. Will not come to the one he's appointed. Will not come. Here in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verse 48. Numbers, chapter 16, and verse 48. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. These are those who came up against Moses and Aaron and said, You've killed innocent men, Korah. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700, besides them that died about the manner of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. How is the plague stayed for us? It's put on Christ. That's the only way. He took the plague. He took our sin. He took, he took the no rain. He took the plague. And therefore, that is the only way that we have freedom to that's the only way we have salvation is the plague has been abated because it's put on someone else. And the rain, the blessings of the rain, was taken away from someone else and given unto us. So here in verse 19 of the book of Zechariah, verse 19, this shall be the punishment of Egypt. We just, these 17, 18, and 19, blessings to those who come, blessings to those, blessings to those. They saw something there. God shared something about that feast. He shares it today. It's the gospel. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. You will not come, but those who come are fed. Those are blessed. The plague is taken away. Here in verse 19, But this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. Here's the punishment. No rain and plagues. How is that abated for the church? The plague went on Christ. The rain falls on us. He was without blessing. We are blessed. He took the plague. It doesn't fall on us. And so these who would not come... What's Zachariah saying? Come not to Christ. Come not to the gospel. Come not his way. Come not through him. You are 
in a terrible situation. There is no hope. There is no hope whatsoever. This shall be the punishment. This shall be the punishment. Now, just uh, look with me in the book of Lamentations. This particular word for punishment is found one time in the book of Lamentations and twice here in the book of Zechariah 14. Lamentations chapter 14 verse 19. Lamentations of Jeremiah. Uh oh. Chapter 4 verse 19. Lamentations chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 19. It says, Well, one more time. I think it is in verse 22. The punishment of thine iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no more carry thee away into captivity. He will visit thine iniquity, O daughters of Edom. He will discover thy sins. Punishment is accomplished for Zion, and it is carried by the daughters of Eden. Edom. You will not come to me, Christ said, that you might have life. How come people come? When he saves us, he gives us to understand the great need. You are the Savior. Why did the leper come to Christ? Because he was a leper. Why did the blind man come to Christ? Because he was blind. Why did the woman of an issue of blood come to Christ? Because she had an issue of blood. Those who have no need will not come. And the judgment is you will have no rain and the plague shall be upon you. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. Well, there are two verses left, I believe, there in the book of Zechariah. And we'll continue there next time. Verses 20 and 21. Holiness unto the Lord, even on the bells of the horses. Before we're dismissed, are there any other word? Prayer requests? All right. Brother Mike, if you will dismiss this, please.